Hey Zwifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast coming up on this episode. We put some jigsaw pieces together to try to get a clearer picture of the immediate Zwift future. Few things get Zwifters going more than a conversation about heart rate max. We've got some facts from a prof. Spoiler alert, 220 minus your age, it's a myth. And the world's Zwift makes history again. Two great races as the top riders duke it out up the Watopia Wall. They're here. They're poised. They're bursting with things to say. They are my fellow Zwiftcasters, the Antipodean Oracle, who goes by the name of GP Lama, Shane Miller, and the one and only, the original, the voice of Zwift, Nathan Guerra. Cracky boys, I hope you're in form after that build-up. G'day, Shane, mate. Uh, I see it was new bike day for young Max the other day. My daughter, who's um, a little older, also got a new bike. It was new bike day for her as well, which was uh, very exciting. Um, as they say in pro circles, mate, the baton's being handed on to the next generation, I think. Oh, yes. New bike day for Maxwell. It's a special day. It really is. Um, so into the bike store we went. They didn't have blue, but he got the next best one, which was red. So I think he's going to be going faster than me. I like blue. He's got a red bike. And it's it's around two kilos. Kids' bikes these days. It's an alloy bike, two kilos. Absolutely brilliant. Wow. His legs just can't reach the ground yet. But Christmas Day, I think they might. Can't wait for it. Nothing like a new bike on Christmas Day. And that's definitely the, the way forward for choosing bikes. Now, I may adopt that. Instead of spending like 9,000 hours on websites <laughs> looking at specs, I'll just go, I prefer the red one. Um, Nathan, yo, dude, by the way, do any of your many offspring cycle spontaneously? Have you forced it upon them or are they natural-born cyclists? Hey, guys. Hey, boys. What's up, Zivcast people? So, yeah, new bike, speaking of, yes, they definitely have all, all of them have either raced in some sort of way or yeah, pretty involved. And, you know, when you're going to bike races every weekend uh, as a family for quite a long time, they just start, they just hop on. They just want to do osmosis. uh, Yeah, exactly. They want to do what dad's (laughs) doing. They want to do what mom's doing, you know? So it's, um, and then the new whole new bike thing, you guys got got me reminded like Milo needs another new bike. So now Christmas, Milo doesn't listen, so <laughs> we can talk about new bikes. We got to get Milo, the six-year-old, onto something that's a little more mountain bikey to hit the trails because his brother, My, uh, Micah, is already taking three, four, five-foot air jumps on the local mountain bike. Tra- I mean, like scary. I like, <gasps> like kind of a situation where you're watching your kid going, okay, uh, do we got the pads out? Well, okay. He's, he's, a, he's a daredevil. The Mike, Mike is, but yeah, they well, that, would, that would give me kittens. You see, I've always, I've, I've always resisted kind of foisting or I suppose even encouraging my kids to ride just because <sighs> I just, oh yeah, I'm terrified about the roads. You know, the roads here are just. They're, they're well, that's pretty... why you go to the trees in the dirt. Come on yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kids gravel bikes. It'll be all the rage next week. Kids gravel bikes for sure. There we go. Yeah. yeah. No, nope, I can do that happening. <laughs> okay. Let's get down to Zwifty business. As Zwift only rarely talk directly to the community on these matters. Uh, what we have to do if we're really interested in what the future might hold, <clears throat> excuse me, is we do our own jigsaw. We find a few odd-shaped chunks of the Zwift landscape just over the horizon, 
We lay them flat on a metaphorical table, try to fit them together, and we squint to see if we can picture uh, see a picture forming. And that's exactly what we're going to do now, live and in real time. Doesn't get more exciting, boys, actually. So uh, first, let's assemble our jigsaw pieces and peer intensely at each one to see what clue it might provide. Then we will, like Mystic Meg, peer through the swirling mist, filtered by a crystal ball, informed by our experience, try to figure out what the hell is going in, uh, going on. Are you in, lads? I just had to Google who Mystic Meg was. Was it a UK thing? And I'm scared. <laughs> She's, she can see into my soul. <laughs> yeah. Might be a bit of a UK reference. I'm going to take that as an ascent. So uh, let's go. All right. Now, um, this has come about really because Eric gave an interview, Eric Maynard, the CEO, gave an interview to Bloomberg, and he also uh, was quite voluble on text during the Thanksgiving Day ride. So we've, we've kind of got some, some, some good information here. Uh, and since Jarvis the Bear was a cub, there has been talk of an IPO <laughs> taking Zwift public, so anyone can buy shares in the company. Now, I've asked Eric several times about this, and generally it's been kind of politely brushed off as, well, it might happen, but not for ages. Now that position seems to have subtly changed, and Eric is openly acknowledging an IPO is in the company's future. Here's what he told Bloomberg. Do you have plans to, to IPO? I think we're, uh, we have those ambitions. There's no timeline. Um, we're focused on growth. We're focused on just making it easier for people to, to you know, get onboarded and, and use a product we think uh, is, is, has real social impact. This is really a mission-driven company. And our you know, mission is to get as many people to, to integrate fitness into their, their lives. And wellness is an important part of our mission. Uh, now, Eric also acknowledged this on the Thanksgiving Day ride, talking about a way Zwifters may access shares. Uh, whether or not they can be traded for drops is a moot point. However, this in itself, this acknowledgement of the of the of a coming IPO, it is a big deal because companies preparing for an IPO do certain things, and one of those things may well be concentrating on getting more new bums on saddles than making sure the existing bums exist in a state of permanent joy and fulfilment. Uh, shorthand for all of that rather long build-up, Shane, um, forget new features. All our bandwidth is going on upping numbers or coping with growth. Shane, it's kind of got the ring of truth, that, that rather brutal shorthand. Looking at recent updates, which have been, um, what's a polite word, underwhelming. Yeah, this month was pretty thin on the ground. Um I, uh, I'm not. I'm not really into the business a hell of a lot. Um, I don't run mm. a massive. Uh, I mean, I've got a subscriber base, but they don't really. It's different to shareholders and things, and and pleasing people like that. Is it a case of you shed some existing users with the incentive to bring in a lot more new blood? Is that what they're up to here? Well, I, I mean, I think this is where we're eventually going to get to. You know, mm. you've got to look at where is the company's focus at the moment. And I, I think, you know, looking at what Eric had said recently, both to the Swiftcast and elsewhere in public, and now acknowledging this IPO, you've got to think that the focus, the relentless focus is on new riders. Well, they spoke and, about making the, uh, making the onboarding a lot easier. And yeah, most of my easier, content easier. is trying to de demystify that. Yeah, so, easier. yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, Easier, easier, easier is is the big buzzword at the moment. I, I guess what I want to get out of this discussion is how much do we think 
they are prepared to ignore the wishes of the kind of horny-handed old veterans in the cause of getting more people on and getting more people on easier. So let's see where we get on that one. Uh, Nathan, interesting, during that interview, Eric also described um, Zwift as the fortnight of fitness. I mean, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what he meant by that. But, uh, you know, here's the same kind of question for you, really. How do other games balance the needs of jaded veterans who just want new stuff with a big influx of noobs who are perhaps more easily satisfied because it's all still a novelty? How do other games do that? Well, I think there's two ways that that happens. Because when you first land in a game, you start your story with the game. So you need to continue the story. How do you keep expanding the story? And we've seen that in small ways with Zwift, with expansions to Autopia, New Worlds. Um, but there isn't a lot of... Um, it's very uh, kind of one-dimensional in that respect. But also... Uh, so that's the, that's the story side of things where um, when you jump into a game, you have... When we spoke, spoke about this before, what we say PVE, player versus environment. You walk in and you solve problems in an environment. Um, and then you also need to be in a PVP sense, player versus player, um, competitively rewarded. Or even player versus environment being competitively rewarded as well can also be a thing. So I think that... Um, you need to continue to create ways that your players are rewarded and they need to feel like they're continuing their story in a more advanced way. We have a lot of level 50 Zwifters. That story is over. Uh, a lot of Tron bikes. It's not taking long. Nine minutes and 55 seconds into the recording. And already we're on uh, the Someone has started their story, so they can just <laughs> continue on with that one. Uh, yes. But... Um, and so (laughs) well there's a good narrative there that you can get involved in but you get where i'm going here and you know we can everybody that's noob though one of the things is you can you can create new stories in games in ways that both onboard people in the middle of in it right on into it and give veterans to a way to be a part of that story too, that mm-hmm. new that new element. Um, and then you need to respond to the competitive complaints. Like I'm not being rewarded by the game in this spot, this spot or this spot, because it's just not playing well. And you gotta, you gotta respond to that to create good competition too, especially in PVP. And we see that in the racing environment. So, you know, in fitness and action adventure mix is a cool place that a lot of things could happen. And I think creating some depth, there is definitely something that that could happen that could both onboard noobs and at the same time reward the the veterans. Hey, well, that's a very good. That's a very telling phrase you you made there. At level fifty, your story is over. Um, I mean, I think it's slightly unfair. I think Swift will probably argue that the continuing motivation for level fifty riders is is to continue to to, to be motivated to, to get fit. You know, to enjoy, to continue to enjoy their fitness, and do you lose that motivation when you get to episode fifty, uh, to level fifty? Maybe, maybe not everybody does, but but maybe some do. That's a really interesting point, actually. Um, all right, well, let's move on to to growth because uh, rarely uh, we got some very specific numbers. Um, these didn't come out during the. Bloomberg interviewed them itself, but they were confirmed later. Anyway, massive growth is a thing in Zwift. Here's what Eric said about it in the Bloomberg interview. Increasingly, more of the the newer customers coming onto the platform uh, tend to be more recreational 
and they're looking for a fitness solution. And given their current environment, a big part of the theme of our investment is all about making Swift easier to to buy, easier to be onboarded, and easier to to use. And you know, our investment into hardware is part of that bigger strategy. Right, and I think this will kind of impact on, on on where we started, really, which is you know this this dichotomy at the moment between between noobs and and keeping the veterans happy. Two hundred and sixty three percent growth since COVID. I mean, basically, Zwift subscribers have doubled and more since April. Uh, Bloomberg were clearly briefed on that number, and Zwift has since confirmed it. I mean, again, Shane, is this a clue? Is this another one of the jigsaw pieces as to why we have almost zero new features, all bandwidth going on coping with a doubling, more than doubling of subscribers? These are not early adopters either. I mean, I think that's a critical point. They're much more recreational cyclists, as Eric said in that clip and elsewhere in the interview. And I've seen this anecdotally on Zwift Riders they probably need a whole lot more support than the the, the early boys and girls. Uh, it depends where the resources are going here. Is it? I wouldn't see Zwift putting resources towards supporting these new users and then taking away from development. The people in development are yeah. in a separate part yeah. of the company. That should not stop. Yeah. Though one thing John has said early on, John Mayfield, that one of the co-founding developers of Zwift, is that it's like changing the wheels on a, on a moving train. I think that's what John said, um, which makes a lot of sense. So the more people come on board, the more things moving. You, you try and take a server down when everyone's on there or try and introduce a new update when everyone's riding. You don't want to interrupt that experience. Are we seeing Zwift in a holding pattern because they don't want to sneeze in case their head falls off or an arm falls off or a leg falls off? Uh, We we see a little bit of instability in the platform with recent updates, Bluetooth breaking, app bus breaking, frame rates doing really strange things in window mode. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I think the bigger picture here is the industry. And it's not Zwift's fault that things are hard to be you know, to get on board. Uh, today, I'm working on a new trainer that's been re-released from 2011, and the process is horrendous. I've built mm-hmm. and I've ridden 50 or so different trainers. This took me 35 minutes to build. I missed the group ride that I was going to build this and ride on. I can't sprint above 380 watts. Uh, not me, the trainer. I can hopefully sprint above 380 watts. But what this <laughs> results in is me having to raise a support ticket, saying, well, is it Swift or is it the trainer? Who do this stuff's hard. Um, but coming back to the numbers, um, I'd hope onboarding new people doesn't take away from adding new features because what Nathan said there, yeah, I'm a level 50. My story's over. I've collected most of the route badges, the ones that are achievable. The other one's going to take five or six hours each. So, you know, my story's kind of stopped there for now. Um, yeah, it's interesting times. And that's the point I was going to put to you, Nathan. I And I can't figure this out either. I mean, it baffles Shane. I think it baffles me. You know, what? surely these are different teams. Surely these are different teams. The team that onboards provides support and the team that develops the game. I mean, of course, they're different games. They're completely different skill sets. I don't understand why one appears, and we are, of course, hopelessly speculating here, but I don't understand why one appears to affect the other. Um. However, this is a very little publicity elsewhere. Jordan Rapp, uh, a very senior member of the game team, has left Swift to take up a new job elsewhere in the games industry. Now, obviously, he's going to be replaced, uh, but he has been there a while, and he was heading up some pretty big stuff, certainly like the anti-sandbagging measures and lots, lots of other things. He is definitely going to be missed, not not so much because he's Jordan Rapp, I'm talented though Jordan was, but because his replacement 
is is surely going to take a few months to bed in. Yeah, I mean, on that front, niche game is what I'm thinking. It's it's a niche game pulled in a lot of directions with a good amount of event servicing happening too. So you have, and I think the event servicing uh, for existing users, that moving train with like, and and the amount of events that we see being scheduled now with all of the users that we, so you get more users, more events that can go on the calendar that will get more participation. Um, it's not like just a few events are getting all of the participants. And even if we only had, if we did have less events, would they be twofold is another question then too. So, um, you know, with that, I think you do have, developers and people who are on certain teams needing to be a part of that churn, be a part of that moving train in some way. So I think there's that. Um, the replacement with, you know, there, it's not just Jordan too. There's there's a couple of others um, that I know personally uh, through social media and other places that recently have um, found other, it looks like other jobs moved on from Swift and um, yeah, that's going to be. And then this is not a bad thing. I mean, this is just natural churn. I mean, you know, this happens. No, no. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just natural churn. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like no. I mean, I think uh, Jordan from he moved on to Respawn and Apex Legends, and I mean, I, I would kind of like that's awesome. I play that game. It's one of the best games out there right now. It's going to be a lot of fun for Jordan, I think, actually. And um, so, but he will leave a hole. He, uh, that's my point that, that there's a hole there that's going to need to be filled. Yeah. hundred percent. And uh, you know, that's going to everything underneath there too, from wherever he was managing, that is going to need leadership to, to step in. And that takes resources then away from other teams that need that leadership, et cetera. So um, yeah, there's, a moving train. That was a great. That was a great way to put it, actually. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just another, you know, another one of our little jigsaw pieces in this slightly weird process we're going through. Okay, here's another one. Lots of online reaction to Eric's Bloomberg chat was, "Oh, well, that's all great, Eric, but when do we get new roads or maps?" Now there was some slight, ever so slightly kind of conflicting information. I mean, here's Eric's exact words to Bloomberg. There, we're working on it. I, I don't think it's it's really about the number of maps, although we'll continue to increase the number of maps. I think there's so much we can do with just Watopia, which is our largest map, and it's a huge landmass. And so we can continue to expand just within that 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 map. Okay, well, as you heard there, there was more stress on expanding Watopia than whole new maps. I think that was where the stress was there. And that was actually backed up by what Eric said during the Thanksgiving Day ride when he said that whole new maps were unlikely in the short term, uh, which I think probably pretty much covers this winter season. So I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm based on what uh, the, the, the discussion so far, I think it's a fairly safe bet we're not going to get a new map this winter. But, again, he did say there was massive scope for expanding Watopia. So, Shane, if we get new roads this winter, and that's that's far from a given, but if we get new roads this winter, they will be in Watopia, you know, in this speculative game. Um, but the rollout of, of new stuff and all the things we've already discussed, 
I'm not really holding my breath for new roads, even in Watopia this this season. Are you? No, not quite. But I've said elsewhere, I, I think Swift are in a holding pattern and they've learned from their past mistakes about saying, oh, here's what's coming up, here's what's coming out. And then they hit a hurdle and then it doesn't come out. I could list about 10 or 20 of those things right now. I'm sure the listeners could too. And we see that posted quite often uh, when they're not rolled out in recent updates. I think Swift are being very quiet. I think they're working super hard in the background on something. There's What, what was the last head? count there 350 well 349 without jordan um i'm sure they've done some more hiring <laughs> since then too uh they've got to be doing something they've got to be working on something and i think they're just being quiet so not to set expectation because if they don't meet that expectation again and again it becomes zune coming zune and that's the new meme that we're all talking about um I'd love to see new roads on Watopia because we saw the um, was it the underwater section open up and that changed it changed the routes that everyone could take. We saw the desert open up that changed the game again. The jungle, well, that's kind of tucked away somewhere weird, so the jungle is just there by itself. But once they open up things and they interlink. It changes everything. Yeah. It becomes a combination. There's going to be new route badges. There's going to be new experiences. I really want some single trail off-road adventure stuff up to the top of that shining light. If people know what I'm talking about, there's a shining light on the um, Tempest Fugit um, out in the desert there. Someone's got a mirror on top of one of the cliff faces. I you sure that's not the monolith that somebody's... No, no, no. That was, I saw that on social media too this week. That was, that was interesting. Um, just some it, more adventurous stuff, um, maybe with some steering involved, but just add a ton of roads. They can just be simple roads, but if they, they interlink things and you can get to the, maybe get to the, um, the jungle circuit via a back road or a secret pathway or something like that, that would be super cool. So more of that, more, more adventure. Yeah, and I mean, we could, you know, we've all got our list of, of stuff we'd, we'd, we'd love them to do. But, but I mean, what we're trying to get out here, is, we're trying to get inside their head, really, I suppose. And we're trying to, you know, we're trying to map out what we think is the short. I think they're sitting on their hands. They're not going to tell us. They're not going to tell us. No, well, I think you're right. I think you're right there. I think they got badly burned on the, on the UI. I think expectations snowballed out of control on that. Uh, they, they they couldn't get ahead of that, and they'd actually reputationally took a bit of a hit mm-hmm. on the whole new UI thing. I mean, we've been through this before. It never was a whole new UI, uh, certainly not in the, in the in the first stages. But they did get slightly burned on that. So Nathan, and, and you know, I'll point out yet again, we're in the realms of speculation here, but but everything does point to Swift having taken a decision. The existing subscribers, the old timers, will tolerate probably little or no new shiny things whilst the company concentrates on coping with growth, doing whatever they're doing. I think Shane's probably right. There is probably something big happening that we just don't know about. Building systems, which Eric's talked about, that takes ages, and also doing what Eric has called foundational work, which I think is is getting back to this thing that we heard about a couple of years ago, which is repaying technical debt. In other words, boring but essential back-end stuff. So one of the reasons they may may feel in a confident position to do this is the almost total absence of competition on any scale. So if people get fed up, they say, I'm going elsewhere. Well, really, is there anywhere else to go? Uh, 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 I did a uh, sample size one experiment on this. I actually went on Road Grand Tours the other day because I've not been on for ever, ages and ages. And I just thought I'd see what the opposition was doing. And actually, it was okay. It was kind of glitch-free and fairly smooth. However, there were, I think, 50 people on the ride I chose. So I just flipped over to Zwift at exactly the same time. 
and there are 20,000 online, 20,000 versus 50. I mean, there is no serious competition, Nathan, and I think that must be one of the factors when Zwift has been weighing up what to do this winter and thinking, okay, well, probably the old timers ain't going to be too happy, but really they've got nowhere else to go. Yeah, that's a great point that there isn't really much of anywhere else to go. And, you know, I, I, that one's pretty, pretty obvious. I, I think the thing is why that I'm, that's really interesting to me is why isn't there anywhere else to go? And mm-hmm. we have a software that is very specialized, taking into account so many factors of user experience from like a human experience point of view, many um, that Zwift are still figuring out on how to address to actually with current hardware and software landscape to work with it. And they've had five years to work on this, right? So um, the reality is, is that the other competitors, when you jump on, they're still trying to catch up. I mean, I've seen what they're trying to do in places of broadcast, racing, et cetera, that Zwift are still figuring out and they're, they're not even starting. So, a, yeah, a, so the only way so that someone could get involved in this space now, Zwift are in this middle ground kind of where someone would have to come in and be ahead of them in areas that they don't have any specialization in. And that's another reason why a guy like Jordan Rapp is really hard to replace. You have like this intersection of fitness and gaming, the Fortnite, you know, Mm -hmm. that whole idea of Fortnite of fitness idea where you have to address problems that we haven't really tried to address ever with software and hardware. And um, as well as like, user experience and things that, I mean, the the list can go on. We can list so many things that people have brought up about what you can do with this unicorn and how do we do things with it. But, um, and Zwift are trying to catch up obviously. And a competitor like a triple a pro a triple a gaming company would try to come in and the amount that they would have to do and the game that would come from it because that would be the only way is like something would have to show up it's like and, and the rewards they would exactly. get the rewards they would get proportional to the size of that it would have to business. be forza it would have to yeah. be like yeah. a top and boom and you everyone would be like whoa check this out you know what i mean and the user experience would have to outweigh the lack upfront of users and then the users would start just piling in. But the user experience would have to just be like, there's a story, there's interactivity, the, Oh, they've also figured out how to make it competitive and feel good competitively. And it's like, really, they're going to be able to do all of that. Cause you also need a user base to do that with too. So this is a complicated situation actually to really get into. And I think that's really why, why they don't have any competition and they can be comfortable this way too. Yep, no, it's a good point you make there. The, the, the super specialized nature of it versus the potential rewards, and a lot of those report rewards have already been hoovered up by Zwift in terms of subscribers. You know, are those subscribers going to jump ship? Well, if you look at Zwift the, the RGT, no, they ain't. They ain't going to jump ship. So I do think they feel reasonably secure against competition, and I do think that's one of the, the factors that, that are influencing what we think <laughs> is this policy. I mean, we only think it. We're only speculating. We don't know. I mean, we do have a little bit of the evidence of our own eyes, which is there's not really a lot new happening this winter. Anyway, interesting stuff. Okay, well, I'm going to carry on with this. Uh, it's a very long list, but it's all pretty important stuff for the future direction of the company. And again, Eric confirmed something we've all kind of known for ages that maybe not the first product, but definitely the main product from the Zwift hardware division will be a Zwift smart bike, is what he said. So our hardware strategy is really about 
is really focus on on the bike. A Zwift branded smart bike? We're certainly not going to come out with a product that is just another piece of product. I think we have an opportunity to to really innovate and and um, really, I think, further enhance the, the the experience that we you know promised ourselves to deliver on. Well, Shane, your territory, mate. Uh, no timeline, um, obviously, but Zwift must surely be hoping for something like this. This time next year, you would have thought is a realistic ambition. Um, Ray, Ray Maker had a few things to say on this, uh, and Ray is always worth listening to on on these matters, as are you indeed. Uh, and he pointed out that hardware is hard that even existing experienced manufacturers are struggling to cope with meeting demand right at the minute, let alone on future products. And Zwift has zero experience in the area, although they're obviously gaining that fairly quickly. But he's not wrong uh, on those factors that are likely to make that timeline longer than Zwift would like it to be. There's a lot that goes into this. And as usual, Ray is right on the money with this one. Um, Number one, getting to Taiwan is problematic at the moment. And that's where you need to go. You need to be there on the factory floors, um, working with product development teams, the hardware, the tooling, all of that. Um, That's one of the many factors involved. The international certification of hardware is another one that is super, super complex. We saw tax have a lot of trouble with the Magnum smart trainer um, slash treadmill. Um, the certification on that took years and years because they had to build a new motor for and that, it. Now, that, that, sorry to interrupt, uh, Shane, but that was also true of the actual tax smart bike. Yeah. That, that, that was held up by certification. Yep. Um, so we've got international certification, you've got distribution, you've got a ton of issues. Now, Zwift do software and do the distribution of software quite well. And that's easy to do. You upload it to a server or a content distribution network and away it goes. At this point in time, I can't purchase a Zwift footpod in Australia. They cannot supply footpods to Australia. I've got to go through Amazon and people couldn't find them. And this box is no bigger than a a packet. I was going to say a packet of cigarettes. Can can, can I use a matchbox of cigarettes? (laughs) We're showing our age. (laughs) Um, Bigger than the size of a a pair of iPod Pros. Here we go. That's what I can use. They're very tiny. Smart bikes are massive, massive. And having three or four of them shipped here last year, because smart bikes aren't new anymore. They are not new things. They're they're becoming legacy devices. Uh, Over 12 months ago, I had three or four of the latest smart bikes shipped here, and that was problematic getting it into the house. Uh, First of all, one courier wouldn't deliver it, refused to deliver it. Second one, I had to go to the uh, regional distribution center, put on a high-vis jacket, have an induction so I could go and pick up my trainer. <laughs> I'm like, what the? These things are yeah. – it is super hard. It is super hard. And that's that's assuming they can get something in a box, but getting to the point where getting it exactly. in a box – Exactly. assume they can make the dumb thing and get it manufactured and, then and get it shipped. The problem is when you've got – when you make something, when you make a physical object, especially when it comes to technology, there is such – a huge risk involved that something might stuff up. The belt might be slippy, the the uh, bearings out of tolerance. You've got all these issues that you can test a thousand times on the test bench. You can have a hundred beta testers. As soon as you put that out of the market and the world tests for you, it's a whole different kettle of fish. Risky business. It's a, it's a completely different business too, like entirely. Um, so will they succeed? 
Time will tell. Um, they've got the resources to do it, though, and that's the thing with this recent investment round. Um, they've got the ability, they've got the strength in the industry um, to call on um, a number of different companies. Now, there are still a number of companies out there with certain patents and certain um, skill sets that haven't dabbled in the indoor training side of things, and I I reckon they're, they're, they're calling on those resources. So when people say, I saw the Reddit post a couple of weeks ago with, with someone posting, would you buy the Zwift bike? And it was an astounding no, 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 wouldn't even touch it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to contribute here. It's, it's of no benefit for me to contribute and get, get uh, hounded on because I disagree with most of them. It's a wait and see. We're going to have to wait and see. And if they've got the right people, the right management behind it, and the right technology and the right testing, we might just end up with a user experience that is brilliant and that is the next generation. Because I tell you today, what, in 2020, all the technology that I've seen, it ain't next generation. The trainer today is 10 years old. Can I ask you a question? Like gaming peripherals has always been super interesting to me coming from um, a competitive side, how much the gaming peripherals will change my experience in order mm. to be competitive in the game. Like it's huge and it's a huge market. And we've seen so much research and product and development in that area from Razer. Logitech have completely rebranded themselves. They used to be just the camera and a cheap keyboard that you got to run your Microsoft Windows, you know, and it was, and, and now they're like high end, what like crazy gaming devices, you know, in order to, to get the best experience in these competitive spaces for PVP. Um, and that's how they're sold. Do you think that that is, is that kind of where you're aiming there a little bit to say, Hey, like peripherals in the gaming world might be able to interact with the peripherals in the exercise world in some sort of way where it's not tapped at all. And they weren't paying attention. Maybe these other companies that are really slow. The cycle, I mean, Simon, you say it all the time. The cycling industry is so slow when it comes to, and maybe yeah. they go pick up on where it's really fast right now, Shane? That's a great analogy. And I think that's spot on where things are heading. Um, so when you've got a, a Super Nintendo or a Nintendo 64 or a SNES or something, and you get the original controller that comes with it, that's the one you play. And then when your friend comes over, they get the Mad Cats one that's really crappy and you know, <laughs> the buttons don't quite work. At the moment, that's effectively what we're using on Zwift. We're all running Mad Cats uh, trainers. They're not made by Zwift. If you can, just like the Apple experience, yeah. and dare I say Peloton, can I mention that word? Um, they control. Well, you can. And and, you know, on a mundane thing, Shane, you know, the, the, the man in the nice uniform and the very large Peloton van solves the having to wear a high-vis and go on a course to pick up your trainer properly. Hey, there we go. <laughs> See, they control the experience. So it's not a bad thing. Mm. It's not a bad thing. So Zwift Bike... I'm I'm hoping it's going to be the next big thing. That's what we what we need. The old veterans of indoor cycling. We need new things. We need to be showing that something works and is fantastic. Um, and it is the next generation. Um, noobs will take anything because like provide a little bit of resistance and a bit of interactivity. It's all new to them. But for us, um, I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful they can do it. But it's going to be a wait and see. Well, me too. But I think the point of this discussion uh, and in the context of this discussion is that what they're doing is hard. Mm -hmm. The current conditions make it no easier. In fact, they make it a whole lot harder. Um, I mean, the, the effect of COVID on supply chains and shipping chains has been a nightmare. So, but in the context of this discussion, what 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 that means is, you know, it's more bandwidth, isn't it? It's more bandwidth mm -hmm. with a huge project that the senior leadership team must devote to it. You would imagine. So, again, you know, trying to build a picture of what's likely to happen this winter—that is perhaps another reason why things 
on the development side might might be a little quiet, even though, again, hardware is a separate team from, from game development, but it, it, it's a bandwidth soaker. You know, it's a, it's a it's something that, that must be taking attention and money and resource. Um, so, you know, yet another piece in the jigsaw. Okay, um, a few quick hits from Eric's uh, uh, two public utterances of uh, recent days. Rowing massively on the back burner, not his words, but that's definitely the case. Although that may change after a row won the Worlds uh, yesterday, <laughs> but we'll get on to that later. Uh, clubs coming next year, in quotation marks, could be January, could be December, who knows. The exit the game to do something different thing, which annoys so many people. Um, here we go, Eric's words. We are building new systems that will allow us to offer new functionality and finally let you do multiple sessions in a single ride. Emphasis on finally, <clears throat> also emphasis on systems. Again, might take a while. This was really interesting and really surprised me. Only 25% of Zwift's customer base is American. 50% is European and the rest is, is rest of the world. Really, really fascinating. I was very surprised about that. And it does make me wonder about some of the kind of very American-centric marketing we see from Zwift. But we'll get into that um later in the episode. Nathan, building systems. Um, this was in the context of the uh, exiting the games thing. Not a fast process, one imagines. Um, this winter season for expanded clubs or multiple sessions in a single ride, how many of your 11 million drops would you stake on either of those things happening before, say, April 2021? I just ticked over 19 million, and <laughs> I'm not betting a single one. Okay, I'm still waiting for an adventure to even take them on. I'm like, I need a new story here, but maybe 2022 for that is what I'm thinking. Um, and so we're just going to keep I'm looking at the 40 million. Okay, that's probably what we're looking at here of saving full on conservative here. We're just letting it sit in the market, okay? With somewhat so, and it's really mute on the dev projects. I mean, totally mute. Like we're not getting anything, and I'm very wary of any bets whatsoever. And to be really honest, I don't. I don't even want because all of a sudden, like a couple, of, like we could get a message that's like, oh well, you know, second week of January. It could like they're being so quiet right now, and I think it is yeah. that that yeah. It, all of a sudden I all be like, well, yeah, we've been working on this for six months, and boom. So I'm yeah, I'm, no, you I'm might be right. No yeah, I mean they've been so, so quiet. I'm not entering so the casino, okay? I am. I'm dry. I'm. I'm staying dry here. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> that might that might be very wise. You keep those drops safe, my friend. Uh, Shane, make like Mystic Meg. Your prediction for when any of this will. Happen. I still have Mystic Meg up on the screen here. When I had to Google before, and she's still scaring me. Uh, uh, yeah, well, Nathan didn't make a prediction, so I can't not make a prediction. Um, April 1st. <laughs> Just which year? <laughs> which, which year? Oh, 2021. Because we always do something on April 1st. There's always an April Fool's of something. So uh, hopefully they will. Let's go with April 1st. Why not? Okay. Well, look, let's, let's finally on this. We haven't gone on about this, but I, I do think it's the kind of stuff that, that podcast listeners are, are involved with and engaged with. Let's look at the picture we made out of the jigsaw. And here's, here's my picture. Zwift, I think, in April, say, April 2021, I think it's going to look and act very much like the Zwift of December 2020. I don't see much prospect 
of anything that's going to fill veterans rifters with joy and excitement this winter. Although, as Shane said, they've been so quiet, then you know they may have a major surprise up their sleeve. Uh, but even if it doesn't, it may not matter much because Swift is gambling that this now probably quite small part of the subscriber base, that's people like us, they'll stick around because really they've got nowhere else to go. Uh, newbies will be happy because they're not bored yet. And if you're new to Zwift, it is a rich and entertaining place that's highly motivational for improving fitness and joining in with a very vibrant community. I mean, you know, it is. We, we get a bit jaded, but if you're new to Zwift, it's super exciting. Investors will be happy because already the subscriber base has more than doubled this year. And with Zwift's laser-like focus on making onboarding easier and little or no sign of COVID restrictions lifting before spring, I actually think subscriber numbers are heading even higher. Uh, Peak Zwift this year could easily be 50,000 in my view. We'll get on, we'll, 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 we'll do the proper Peak Zwift game later in the episode. So that's my kind of picture. Shane, do you differ from my picture at all? I like that analysis. Is your jigsaw like my jigsaw? It is. I do like the other analysis. Um, that's that's well thought about and um, I would say well informed. But again, we, we don't know the full picture. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just hope. I always want new things. It's something to talk about. It's a motivation to get on the bike. It's like having new bike day. You know, you want to get out and ride. New Zwift feature day is is a whole new experience. I hope it comes sooner, the, sooner than, uh, than April though. We'll see. So my jigsaw looks a bit like Shane's jigsaw. Uh, Nathan, how's your jigsaw looking, mate? I'm letting go of the jigsaw. Mine is <laughs> mine is the Zwift blob, uh, always churning group that always brings a winning breakaway back in. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> it's never changing. And it's always going to have the sticky draft. So no, for now, until... This time of seeding and new planting or whatever's going on, I think down the road, new systems, and then maybe there'll be some breadth and we'll no longer have the blob that brings every breakaway back in. But right now, no winning breakaways. You just got to hang out in the blob and it churns. It's just going to churn. Here we go. That's what I think's happening. Well, I, th- I think we've got a fairly unanimous with Jigsaw there, actually. And... Uh, you know, who knows? They might make fools of all three of us. I hope they do. Something yeah, bring the winning breakaway. Hands in do. the air. Let's go. <laughs> Loving it. I hope they do too. But anyway, that's our analysis. That's our jigsaw done. Got it. Up for ages, it? But there you go. It, you know, it's interesting stuff. Okay, well, that was an awful lot from us. So let's hear from someone different for a few minutes and let's change the subject a little. If there is one thing that guarantees hundreds of comments in Zwift Riders, it's a post about heart rate. I mean, Zwifters just love discussing all matters of the heart. So I think it might be good to get a proper expert on. Here's a professor. Oh, welcome to the Zwiftcast to Professor Graham Stewart from Sports Cardiology UK. Hi, Prof. Hi there, Simon. Let's start with, with the discipline of sports cardiology, um, appropriate enough, given you're a sports cardiologist. Many cyclists who have occasion to visit what might, we might call a, a general cardiologist often come away thinking that they are something of a freak, not the cardiologist, the cyclist. I mean, what I mean is, is that cardiologists tend to deal with a lot of sick people. And when they see trained people, they tend to be surprised by things like low resting heart rates and, and, and that kind of thing. Do you notice this, Graham? Are you aware of it? Yes. I mean, one of the problems we have is that as medical students and indeed in cardiac 
cardiology training, postgraduate training, there is no teaching on exercise physiology, not the benefits of exercise or indeed the risks or the actual changes that happen to the heart or what they have is rudimentary at best. And so most cardiologists are outside their comfort zone when dealing with somebody who is different from their usual patient. And the usual patient for an adult cardiologist is elderly, smoker, degenerative heart disease and often overweight. And, and happily, most cyclists are completely the opposite of that. So it, it, it's interesting you recognise that because it's, it's something I've often heard of anecdotally. This then makes sports cardiology something of a specialism? Is that going too far? Uh, no, it, until relatively recently, there were very few cardiologists with additional training in sports cardiology. Um, part of that was because there was no way to get additional training. So when I started this 15 years ago or so, I did a master's degree in sports and exercise medicine, which is rather different. Hopefully things are improving, but it's still very much a bit of a, a Cinderella uh, specialty. Okay, well, having established your excellent credentials, let's just clear up a few basics. I mean, there are very few things that gets get Zwift as, as exercised as, as heart rate. Whenever it comes up in the forums, the debate around it is just, it's so voluminous. And to my way of thinking, there's an awful lot of myths around. So let's clear up a few basics. Max heart rate is 220 minus your age. Fact or fiction? Uh, fiction. The podcast prompted me to look into where that came from. There was never any quantitative research that proved this. As best as I can tell, this, this was published in 1971 by a chap called Fox, who looked at 11 different studies, none of which were specifically designed to look at maximum heart rate. And he could have put it together and said, well, rough maximum heart rate is roughly 20 minus your age. But that, that clearly is myth. There's huge individual variation. Such a persistent myth, though. And of course, it does work for some people who then go onto public forums and swear that it's true because it works for them. Exactly. And uh, I mean, there, there's certain things you can take about your maximum heart rate. One truth, for example, your heart rate goes down as you get older inevitably. And that's from teenage years, from younger than teenage years, in fact. And it varies a little bit in men and women. It varies a little bit in athletes versus non-athletes, but inevitably it goes down. It's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why our performance goes down. The second truth is that regular exercise will reduce your baseline resting heart rate. And that does that through a mechanism where it works through the delightfully named funny channels, the IKF channels. And the more you exercise, the lower your heart rate gets. But it varies hugely between different individuals how much. So these are the two things that are absolutely clear. And there have been about 30 different formulas that have been derived to calculate um, peak heart rate. I looked at a review recently and, and they, they uh, recommended that um, what, what they did was they looked back in all the 30 formulas, uh, recalculated the original data, and they came up with the, the nearest estimate would be 208.7 minus 0.73 of your age. But having done that, they still said there was huge inaccuracy. The, 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 having established that it, that it is a myth and, and fiction, uh, Graham, can it be in any way, can relying it be in any way dangerous at worst or, or just misleading at best? Um, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, it can be unhelpful if you're desperately trying to get your heart rate up to the mythical 220 minus your age, or if you're going way above it, uh, 
you, if you're going way above it, you may think there's something wrong. And certainly, you know, if your heart rate is above 220, uh, then almost certainly as an adult, there is something wrong. And I've had many um, athletes who've come to me who've picked up on their Polar or their Garmin monitors, the heart rate shooting up above what their norm is. And that, that's useful because it picks up a problem that can usually be dealt with. Um, but if you're driving yourself to go to something that's not actually true, then that's not, not very helpful. Mm-hmm. And of course, it, 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 it could lead to miscalculating training zones if people use uh, um, a, 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 an erroneous formula for calculating max HR. What, what would you say, Graham, is the gold standard for calculating your own max HR? Do you, do you have a protocol that you, you find useful? Well, I mean, in my, my own personal exercise activities, I, w- I would uh, push hard to get my peak heart rate. My particular peak heart rate is low. But then the other thing you have to take into account is what your baseline heart rate is. So it's this concept of heart rate reserve. In other words, what it goes from when you're at complete rest, you're first thing in the morning, before you get out of bed, take your heart rate. That's your, that's your resting heart rate. And then what it then goes to on exercise. So if your resting heart rate is 30, then your heart rate and your peak heart rate is, is only 130, you've still got a, a rise of 100 beats per minute. Whereas if your resting heart rate is 80 and your peak heart rate is 180, then you've got the same relative increase. Mm. The, the, the other thing to take into account in an athlete is the thing that the cardiac output is not just heart rate, it's also the amount of blood expelled by the heart with every beat. And what, you, volume, blood volume. Blood yeah. volume. Well, stroke volume, actually. So yeah. The, the, yeah. the volume expelled by the left ventricle. And as you exercise more, your left ventricle, particularly cyclists, gets bigger. Which is why one of the reasons why you will, uh, if you look at a cyclist at rest, the heart looks as though it's not doing very much, but it doesn't have to it's because it's a low heart rate because it's expelling a big volume of blood. One formula that I have heard anecdotally that can be incredibly useful as a kind of red flag or amber flag for a potential cardiac issue is the rate at which your heart rate declines having been pushed quite hard. So uh, I have heard of one where if you push your heart rate to more than 90% of max, and then see how fast the heart rate recovers to a lower beat within one minute while still pedaling um, uh, gently. Um, and I, I, I believe that's called recovery rate. And I've, I've heard that that actually is a very, very useful um, potential marker for cardiac health. Is, is that something you've come across? Yes, it is. So when we do a formal exercise test in hospital, that's often the bit I find most interesting. Um, If I've got somebody whose heart rate comes back down quickly, then they have a good level of physical fitness. Uh, Whereas if it's coming back down slowly, say a professional athlete who's having symptoms, training problems, not, not meeting what they would expect to meet, and they've got a very slow recovery, then there's something going on and you have to find out what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And could you quantify that, Graham, when you say quick recovery? I might, I've heard around, you know, if you can decline by sort of between 30 and 40 beats per minute within a minute, that's deemed to be a quick recovery. I mean, it varies. It varies according to age. So youngsters, you know, young teenagers, they'll recover with very, very quickly, much quicker than that. Whereas old people like myself will take much longer. Mm. And uh, it depends on... It depends on the heart rate recovery, which is your 
uh, sinus node, which is the bit of muscle that initiates the heartbeat. It also depends on your blood pressure and on the distensibility of your blood vessels. So you have to take all that into account. But I mean, what you're saying is a reasonable sort of guideline for um, uh, early middle-aged adult. That's not a bad guideline, but it's, it is only a guideline. Extremely interesting area. We could, we could go on for some time, but I think we've covered some really, really useful ground there. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for your time, Professor Graham Stewart from Sports Cardiology UK. Thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome. Uh, well, I suppose we might as well do it as they do it on Zwift Riders, although the, the most enlightened comment I think I saw on Zwift Riders was, you cannot compare your heart rate against anybody else's heart rate and hope to get any intelligent uh, results out of that. Everybody's different, but, you know, let's play the silly game. Uh, I have always been like a stupid low beta. I mean, like really low beta. I, I, I've never conformed to any of the four winners, I don't think. Uh, my max these days is, I don't think I've seen 155 for a while, um, but my resting is super low. I mean, I was sat down at the table the other day and glanced down at my Apple Watch and I was at 42, and that's not even lying down, you know, that's just sitting around. So I'm kind of happy with that range. And I do think range, Shane, is more, uh, it's more informative than than max or, or or actually resting. Heart rate's a really interesting one. A lot of people say once they switch to power, they don't worry about their heart rate strap. But yeah. the thing is with heart rate, heart rate is a response to what you're doing. Power is what you're doing. Um, so they're two both me- they're both metrics to have on the bike and to analyze. Uh, for me, I'm 42 now. My max heart rate's around 192, 193. So I haven't gone in that area for a few weeks now. Uh, resting's around 37 or 38, which causes problems when you're wow, in hospital. Yeah. If you're in hospital and they put a little um, thing on your finger for a, either a broken collarbone or something, it's, it's a common thing here. About 50 sirens go Yeah, off. they're like, oh, it's got to be, It's yeah, that you've got you know, blah, blah. I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, we've seen this before. And less often more recently, though, because I'm quite familiar with ER departments, um, yeah, that's that's my numbers there. So the the 220 minus age, not even in the ballpark for me. No, no. Well, I think it's not for an awful lot of people. I was a hilarious bloke on, on Swift Riders who was just saying, but it works for me, so it's got to be right. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's just a happy accident, mate. Uh, come on, Nathan, let's just have your numbers whilst we're, whilst we're in the game. Uh, in 2018, I saw 198. Ooh. Then I got a little unfit, and I... Uh... Well, no. Okay. So I was really fit then. Yeah. And then I noticed it came back down though. Then I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting how it works for me because when I get fitter though, like in the middle of lots of racing and lots of training, it seems to come down to the 180 area. But then like, as I get more peak and a little rested, or if I'm like not fit, it'll go way up. So I saw like 195 in January, 2020. I saw as recent as September. I saw 192, but then I have been training a lot recently. So I think right now it like usually is like that 190 to 193. I can't really get above there when I get fit. It seems like because and I think it's kind of a an efficiency thing where like everything's being taken care of enough somewhere else that the resources are going there and that it couldn't go any high, any higher because enough is happening somewhere else. Like. If that makes yeah, well, sense. I mean, without going down the rabbit hole, it's, yeah. it's about stroke volume. You know, it's, exactly. it, you, it's how efficient your heart is. It doesn't have to be, you know, when it's very higher. Yeah, exactly. So it, it doesn't have to be. So when I'm fit, it's like 192, 193, and that's about resting. 
Interesting. Uh, do you set off? Yeah, you set off claxons yeah, in the low, ER? low, either low forties or or uh, high thir- high thirties. So low forties, high thirties, yeah. kind of thing. Same as Shane. I don't really pay much attention to that, as most do. Recently, I thought about getting a whoop and kind of paying more attention, but because I just want to be lazy about thinking. About, really, I just want to be lazy about thinking about my training, so that a device can tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's our numbers. I mean, they're completely meaningless to anybody except uh, except us, which is, is kind of the way it, it should be. But there we go. That's that's our matters of the heart segment uh, for this episode. But the, the prof guy was really interesting, actually, and and he makes an excellent point about you know the differentiation between kind of general cardiologists who generally see you know pretty unhealthy people and and sports cardiologists who 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 learn to recognize the things that uh, well they don't press the klaxon button when they see cyclists and it's it's a very interesting differentiation that okay well let's move on to the worlds and another marquee pro racing event held on swift following the virtual tour de france in july some of the best riders in the pro pelotons battled it out over a freshly dressed course on worktopia here's a flavor of what happened and then they'll head back towards the finish again and it's that uphill finish that five percent gradient for 900 meters just picking out a couple of names in this front group Tracy's there, Hannah Ludwig from Germany, Danny Christmas is still there for United Kingdom, uh, Ashley Mormon Passio, the ever-present South African, still in the mix. Well, this is the steepest part of the climb here, Robert. She has, she says, sitting on five and a half watts a kilo, but looks what's happening behind. Ashley Mormon Passio, 10 watts a kilo. Sarah Giganti from Australia, nine watts a kilo. The power-up being used, consummate use there by the South African of the power-up on nearly the steepest part of the climb. And Rob, she's moving clear, half a second clear now she is. 100 metres now to go with uh, Ashley Mormon at the front. Giganti ready to come around, but Ashley Mormon still going to the line. Mormon pulls out again. Mormon going all the way. It's Ashley Mormon Passio who takes the world champions jersey right on and it's the canadians on mass again so matt you talked about this earlier on today people having their earpieces in the radios on listening to instructions and it's obvious that the canadian sports director has been on the blower because chrétien sanders chain and corte all lighting up the power numbers at once it is absolutely flying now with half a kilometre to go. The World Championship bands on the back of one of these riders at the top. It's another, another acceleration from Osborne. Look at that, 12 watts a kilo, and he's got a great gap here. Osborne is out there for Germany, and the Germans are on the way to glory. And the finish line is in sight. Three seconds for Osborne here, and the Germans are going to be the champions. It's Osborne who's going to be the world champion for the first time in esports. A tra- setter and Germany have it followed by Dalcin and Foldager it's Osborne who is the world champion uh okay boys well let's talk about this it only happened a, a matter of hours ago uh I mean my kind of top of the head thoughts but there, there were two good races actually I think the women's race was arguably better actually to watch than the men's race uh which is often the case actually particularly with virtual racing um, an exciting finish, um, although unhappily, uh, much of the last 300 metres, the, 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 the two-up race for the line was uh, obscured by the leaderboard, which was uh, unfortunate, shall we say. But generally, I thought the production quality was very good. Um, there was a funny rights issue which affected viewers in the UK and Europe. Um, I 
went to watch it as I normally do on the Zwift Live platform, not there. Went to watch it on YouTube, not there. It turned out it was geo-restricted. turned out it was exclusive to Eurosport in the UK and Europe. Went back and said, uh, looked at where what Zwift had said about where you could watch it. And they did say that. But what they didn't kind of make a big deal of was that it was exclusive to Eurosport. And again, going back to kind of expectations, uh, going back to the virtual tour de France, the expectation was you could go into any of Swiss platforms and be able to watch it. And I thought that was a slightly odd decision, particularly seeing as the UCI's mission is to is to spread the word on on cycling in general and and on virtual cycling. So restricting platforms was was an odd odd decision there. But these are very complicated matters, very complicated matters. Uh, and I'm sure there was a, a lot of spirited discussion between the UCI, the rights holders, Eurosport, who clearly now have a pretty big stake in virtual cycling, and Zwift. Um, I'd like to have been a fly on the wall for some of those discussions, but the outcome was slightly surprising to me. Um, Nathan, you're the expert here, mate. What did you make of the coverage? Yeah, I thought... Um, and the racing. I thought the racing was awesome uh, as mm. far as the women's side of things. I actually ended up doing a, some recon rides with 2020 um, and kind of like helping out a little bit on that side on the with some of the Americans. So that was kind of fun. It was cool to see. Um, I'd have to agree with you. The men... Well, on the men's side of things, Canada gave a go at one time because I think Lionel Sanders... Yeah, and as a team, as a team, at one point they had five riders in the top eight. Yeah, and I think they knew that both Jordan and Lionel, you know, would not have what it would take to win on that final climb and that Mateo had a better shot at it. Where because in the and if and if Lionel could get away with Jordan or even by himself, we've seen him win against the top Zwifters by himself on a course that has has some significant punchy climbing at the end, specifically Richmond Worlds. Um, so, you know, sending him away like that is is a great thing, especially with the team up the mm. road, makes some, ch- some people chase and stuff. Um, so it was interesting. There was actually a little chatter in Zwift, some Zwift racer groups from people who raced the race that thought maybe – the algorithm for drafting had changed a little bit, which is interesting to me if there was any patching to that, that, huh. But so that, that, that well, they do muck about, you know, they do muck about with the algorithm for racing. I, they no, do. They, I don't, they don't talk about, about it in that. public, but they well, do. Well, and that's the problem to me. That is a problem mm-hmm. to me because as an athlete, I have an agreement to what game I'm playing. You don't change the rules of chess when I walk into a chess match. And I have an agreement, especially with the title on the line. I need to know what I'm playing. I need to know the propriety that I am going after is what, like, like I have a contractual agreement, I feel like, with the game that I'm playing. And if it changes, I need to know. Yeah, so, yeah kind but of. Anyways, but anyways, this is all conjecture. It's a conjecture. I don't know that anything's actually changed. You know? And you'd also say it's the same for everybody. No, it's but it did everybody. look like it got pulled back in really quickly in the men's race and the women's side of things. Um, it was a little bit more like little jabs here and there. Riders getting shot off the back from just being a very hard race, it looked like. Um, and then everybody got caught off guard, I think, by Moleman going from like bottom to top. Um, I thought yeah. she was going to get caught, uh, halfway through, not halfway through, but like three quarters of the way through. Usually you have a charging pack through that flat section and nope, she just held on. Gigante was the only one to come across and 
really was interesting. She's very strong. I was very glad to see her win, actually, because she, um, she had an awful uh, training accident earlier in the year. She was really badly smashed up. Um, so she did she did a fantastic job to win. And interesting to see uh, a pure Zwift specialist win, win the uh, women's race. Shane, there was this new metric, um, efficiency rating, which was interesting. I have absolutely no idea how they work it out, but it looked to me, uh, Nathan, you might know more about this. Actually, I'll ask Shane if he does. Um, uh, basically, it's how good you are at sandbagging. Have you seen <laughs> I saw the uh, the press release on this one. With there was an NTT working with this and coming up with a new metric, and I thought that's a little bold working on something brand new. Where you've got to re-educate people, even the veterans Zwifters and the veterans Zwift viewers, about what this metric actually means. There's no context mm. around it. They can explain what it is, but unless we've seen it before and know what we're looking at, we want to look at a bike race and know exactly what we're seeing. We want to know who's attacking. We want we want numbers on the backs. We want yeah. facial expressions. We want the things of bike racing um to add another metric it's kind of cool it's a bit of a weird flex though with the data they've got tons and tons and tons of data there um most of the time though we just want to know how far it is to go and the, t- the correct time gaps that's really what we're after um so adding more metrics not sure nathan did you have any uh, insight into what this metric was yeah what is it nathan is it how good you are at sunbuggy i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> I, literally, I literally have no idea really? what you're talking well, about. Well, there was this new thing called efficiency rating, okay, which which apparently like 23 or 25 in the men's race was very high, and I think 18 was the highest-placed rider that got it. Uh, we're, we're, we're all we're, we're stumbling in the dark here, aren't we? But I, as far as I understood it from the commentary – and and the, the commentators didn't use these words, but it was how efficient you, how efficiently you were riding the race. Oh, in interesting! Words, how, much, it, how, much, how much hiding you were doing in in wheels, which is a really cool metric actually. But it doesn't sound like it's in uh, game. It sounds like NTT got involved in. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's broadcast. Only, yeah, but, gotcha. But, but, but interesting. Um, but obviously, uh, if if us three can't sufficiently understand or explain it, there's. Um, I actually was watching Zwift Power while and, and hanging out and watching on the side the broadcast with Twitch chat and discussing all the power that was happening and who we thought might win. So, I, I <laughs> I'm sorry I missed that one. No, I didn't. I actually yeah. missed that one. So. Oh, maybe come back to that next episode because it, it it is interesting, Nathan. I I felt overall. I mean, I enjoyed watching the broadcast when I eventually found it. When I eventually got onto a v, VPN and watched it uh, live, um, I felt it was a little lower key than the virtual TDF. Yeah, I think. Well, isn't that what it's like in real life? Yeah, true. It so, is true. I mean, Worlds yeah. is kind of like a cycling-only yeah. thing, and TBF yeah. is worldwide, it's known everywhere. So I think that's yeah. all there is to that, is that you don't know – most people don't know that Cyclocross Worlds is happening. They have no clue that Cyclocross Worlds is happening, or Mountain Bike Worlds, or – you know, I, I think that this may have more attention this year than some Worlds and some smaller cycling disciplines, actually, you know? So, yeah. Mm. But a success, I think, a success for the platform. Um, and I guess, you know, on a, well, certainly in the UK, it was Wednesday afternoon. So, you know, it's not like a big weekend event and perhaps the available audience was certainly the live audience might have been a little smaller at that time. But um, but it was it was well executed and, and lively, enjoyable racing. OK, well, let's hoover up some other Zwifty bits and pieces now. Chaps, I want to talk about pace partners. I make no apology for returning to this again. We discussed it plenty in the last couple of apps, but... 
uh, it's kind of the only new thing in Zwift recently. And I've, I've been spending most of my Zwifting time in the company of Coco. Um, and it was great to see Coco missing the left of the desert turnaround the other day and continuing on up an actual hill. Uh, lots of head scratching in my peloton because it was a bit of a surprise, not built in advance by Zwift. Wonder what happened to that Jeff from Overwatch idea. You know the one where Zwift would talk to the community with little interesting snippets now and again and keep the community updated? Wonder what happened to that. Anyway, um, have we noticed any route changes for the other pace partners? Shane, you do you ride Avec Coco or are you more of a Ankatil all the way. Come on, four plus. Let's go. <laughs> uh, but not recently, though. So no, I haven't seen any other uh, other routes chosen. Um, but I think it's a great idea. Make it random. Make it uh, so when you jump in, you don't know where you're going to be, and and maybe send one of them up Elp the Zwift. No, well, I, I, I must confess, I did have a little frisson as we came to the desert turnaround. I was thinking, are we going left? Am I going to get an easier flat ride? Or are we going to carry straight on and go up a hill? So that that was interesting. But um, it worked for me. I mean, the the, the route, route change worked. Uh, nothing went wrong. Um, it's The group split up a little bit more than it might do on the flat, as you would imagine. But um, it worked very well. So that suggests uh, that... It's well, I don't know how easy it was to execute that, but the execution was good. So it suggests that that kind of thing could happen more and more often. Um, Nathan, you noticed any any route changes, or do you think it's just just Coco going locally? <laughs> <laughs> I I um. Have not actually. I haven't noticed any at all. I mean, I see them going by a lot. I've been so focused, to be honest, uh, that I just have really structured training, so I can't really jump in with them. Uh, too much. Have you not been? Have you two not been riding with with them as much as me? The only thing I've noticed. The only thing I noticed is Amelia is really lonely all the time whenever I see mm-hmm. her. So it seems like she needs a, a Joaquin Phoenix in her in her capital H E R life. <laughs> Um, you know, to, well, to kind of be a little bit of company there. Well, so. Coco has lots of admirers. I mean, whenever I jump on with Coco, he's a big, healthy peloton, actually. Shane, do you ride much of the pace line? Uh, not anymore. I've been doing my own thing with the Llama Lab tests. They're usually set in erg mode and trying to hold a pace partner in erg mode. It's absolutely horrendous. But one thing I did notice the other day, though, is it's a lot harder to be near them in the bigger bunches. It just says sort of hold the wheel or you're dropping out of the pace partner range. I'm like, I can see them just there. It says five meters. Don't put me out of the double drop zone. I'm trying to accumulate drops for no reason. So it's a bit weird. Um, kind of like what we saw with the um, was it the Thanksgiving. No, it wasn't Thanksgiving. What was the... Um, uh, October 31st. What's that? Halloween. The Halloween um, pace partners. They were very difficult to stay with because they were so popular. I'm finding that with uh, that was with Coco the other day. Um, but usually I just see them go the other way. And the the raining thumbs, have you seen the thunderstorm that yeah. follows yeah. that? Like it might be raining out on course, real rain or real virtual rain. Yeah, it gets a bit weird. Um, but the thumbs are just absolutely steaming down. Yeah, it's, it's very popular. But um I mean, I, I really like Coco. I mean, most of my Zwifting, I have to say, has, has been has been with pace partners. I, I, I love the idea. It should really be developed as fast as is humanly possible, in my view. Lots of different ways it could go. And, and Zwifters really seem to love it. I mean, the atmosphere on those rides is actually way better than, than the average group ride, I have to say. There's, there's not that kind of bitching and whining. Um, but who scripts her messages? I mean... <laughs> Some of the stuff she says, you know, come on, let's roll. Well, by definition, we already are rolling, Coco. It is. You know, that's the whole point. 
And then there was also something the other day about having a rip snort. <laughs> I mean, what's that all about? Have you ever heard a cyclist use that phrase? I mean, what, what even is a rip snorter? Is it an Aussie thing? I've heard of that. It's like okay, having a good time, having a rip snorter. Is it, that must be an Aussie thing. It's not very velo, is it? Dictionary, dare I read it out? No, I better not. No, it's just having a, having a very good time, having a rip snorter. Yeah, yeah. Is it rude? Uh, 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 no, I can't read the rest here. It's on, on, I'm on Urban Dictionary, but just take my word for it. Don't go for it. <laughs> it just shows how careful you got to be. I mean, this could be just the archetypal miserable Brit in me, obviously. Um, because I, I'm beginning to feel my relationship with Coco is kind of maturing, actually, where we're no longer at first date stage where everything she says is wise, witty, and kind of charming. We're sort of at the being engaged for a year stage where, you know, you're still in the first flush of romance, but... Um, a few things she says might start to annoy you a bit. <laughs> anyway, that's me and Coco. There's an opportunity here. There's an opportunity here, I think, with these phrases, with every game's got a tooltips page. You know, this could be your Jeff from Overwatch in short form. Little cool info that they let, hey, did you know? That you can get the Tron bike if you climb 50,000, you know, or, hey, did you know that this is how you, this, and like little things that people wouldn't necessarily know, or like little like history of Watopia or what Jarvis was actually, or there's so much that you, and it could be a rotating and you could change it out every week or every month. So it isn't the same thing all over. Come on. It's a very good idea, actually. That's a really good idea. I mean, obviously, I quibble with the example you cite, but um, but the mechanic, I I thoroughly approve of that. That will that, that yeah yeah. There's some mileage in that, and not that difficult to do, would it? You just program in a few state uh, phrases, and you could always be coming up with, or even like make up stuff about the world. There's some story, right? Like make you so. There's all some stuff you can bring in, and then there's community stories you could tell too. Well, did you know that Kiss was, or did you know that this? We could have a min bot, and he could talk about the IPO and what's coming up. There we go. And then once it does list, we can have it just like spit out the share price every five minutes or so, and that's that's what you double your drop if it goes up. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, you joke, boys, you know, but there's a serious point here. You could actually, you know, this is yet another motivation to to to, to join Coco, to be filled in with either, you know, interesting bits of Zwift history or get the stock price. Yeah. That would be fantastic. The current one at the moment is very dead. You'd ride it by yourself and it just pops up things. But if you had a cyclist saying, hey, come on, come this way. We're going to turn left here. Hey, by the way, do you want to, you know, do you want to and have, have the little avatar turn and talk to you in a weird, weird little avatar mouth moving way like they all are when they're digital? Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Have your own pace partner, but it's a tutorial partner. There we go. There's an idea. I like it. like it. It's not going to happen, but I like it. But I like it. Um, Okay, uh, right, next, um, stock shortages. So I saw 30,000 on Zwift. I'm pretty sure I saw 30,000 on Zwift the other day, certainly in the high, very high 20s. Uh, a number of, you know, uh, that, that would have had us rushing out a kind of emergency episode on Pink Zwift a few short months ago, but it's now kind of routine, and I think we could see 50,000 come January. Well, maybe or maybe not, because try buying a trainer or a training mat or pretty much anything related to indoor cycling. I mean, you just can't do it at the moment. Certainly in the UK, there is just like nothing available. I actually literally tried to buy a trainer map the other day and nobody had them in stock. Incredible. 
Then, I mean, IRL cycling. I mean, I uh, was putting some new parts on my daughter's uh, new bike, which was a pre-loved item and uh, needed a new bottom bracket and one or two other bits and pieces. I had to go to three different websites to find a 105 chain in stock. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, so I looked into it a bit, actually. It's very complicated. COVID has hit supply lines, um, and obviously the massive demand for indoor cycling has has crimped supply. And apparently there's got quite a lot of coverage in, in the UK the last couple of days. There's, been, there's some enormous global crisis in the shipping industry where there's something like a gazillion containers stuck in the wrong hemisphere or something. I don't know how it's happened. Somebody pressed the wrong button and sent a load of empty containers somewhere where they shouldn't be and now they're stuck it's, it's really weird and there's massive log jams at um uk container points like uh, like southampton and felixstowe very very odd and shane this is actually a real problem isn't it and i mean is it the same with you for instance and and could this put a lid on growth for Swift this this winter, unless it gets sorted soon. Uh, yes and no. It depends. Um, there's a lot of unused trainers out there at the lower end. There's a lot of people who buy them, like exercise bikes. People buy them and then put them out on the curb for collection. So I think a lot of people uh, they have a lot of unused trainers. If they can get back in circulation or people start turning to those, it's going to help a little bit. But if you want to buy new off the shelf. You're not going to get any discounts anytime soon. Those things are flying off the shelf. Supply here in Australia isn't too bad, but we're on a weird part of the season. Well, we're upside down down here. We're going into summer. So I have seen a few around. I have seen a few things on shelves still. Um, but for the rest of the world, the low, I think the lower end is where things are going to start moving. And we did see today, uh, Tax relaunched the booster trainer. The wheel, it's a wheel on trainer, no smarts whatsoever. It just provides resistance. That's it. Um, and they're now pushing that. So I think even the manufacturers have almost given up on trying to push the high end. They're like, well, what can we get access to? Okay, let's pump out some of these. That trainer is from 2011 and they didn't change it, and they're shipping it today as a new trainer. Interesting thing. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, I'm assuming it's easier to make. No recertifications, no tooling. The boxing is already there. Um, So it's all there. So, uh, look, it disappoints me to see that the growth being limited because of that, but, look, the world is completely turned upside down. So we are still in a privileged position to be able to have this as a problem. Um, We still have food. We still have shelter and warmth for now. And a vaccine soon. Woohoo! <laughs> Interesting there. I mean, stock is very tight in the UK, really tight. Uh, and second-hand prices are through the roof for, for smart trainers. Um, interesting. Okay, well, while we're at it, should we do Pick the Swift, boys? Shall we? Shall we? Why not? Um, so I'm not explaining the rules. Swift cast listeners are higher forms of intelligence. They don't need the rules explaining again. They know how it works, and this is how it works. Usually I win, and rules will be just as we go along <laughs> to make sure that happens. So let's get our Peak Zwift guesses in. Uh, traditionally, Peak Zwift comes in January. I think it will come in January this year. Uh, I've kind of hinted at mine already, so I'm going to stick with that. I'm going with 50,000 for Peak Zwift. Shane Ooh. Miller. Oh, I think related to what we were just speaking about, it's going to impact mm. that. So I, I'm not going so high. I won't go low. I won't go so high. Uh, 36,666. Traditionally, uh, traditionally conservative guess from our friend mm-hmm. in Australia. Uh, Nathan? Our last peak Zwift is still 34,940 on April 5th. Is that right? Oh, right. well researched. So, yeah. 
And if for 263% and take something off of there, I'm going to go over 50, actually. I want to play places right on you and be like 51. I want to do 50,001, but I'm not going to do that to you. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm going to go. Uh, this is t- Get on with it, for Christ's sake. 54,000. 54,000, 54,600 and... Okay, all right, okay. Well, I think as usual, Pat, with me straddling a fence, uh, Shane going ridiculously conservative oh. and uh, Nathan going gorilla wild. Uh, so we'll see, how, we'll, see how that one, we'll see how that one works out. Right, uh, last few bits. Um, Shane, one for you. This is really interesting. Some very clever person has invented a clever thing. So this is the Shift Smart Trainer... Uh, and as far as I can work out, this is essentially an automatic knob twiddler for Peloton bikes. Uh, so what, says everybody? Well, it's, it's actually quite a big deal because it makes, or at least theoretically, makes Peloton's overpriced static bikes compatible with Zwift, which they hadn't been before. Uh, Shane, will this be in any way accurate? And if it's not, does it matter? Hmm. Now, Zwift went after me with their legal team just for simply using the word digital Peloton. Um, uh, God help this guy or the developers of this thing if he if doesn't think they're going to come after him as well for uh, tinkering with their product mm. and allowing it to be used for something else. Um, so all the best there with that. Uh, as for the product itself, uh, it could work, sure. Um, there may be a little lag involved. It's not going to be instant. Now, what we expect from smart trainers these days is almost instant resistance, instant training um, effect if you're going up and down hills and I don't think it's going to be quite there but if it's going to open up the world a little bit more for the Peloton users who may not be using it as much um, to jump on Zwift and have a go will it be popular? I don't think so. I think if you're at the Church of Peloton that's the that's the altar you're going to be at you're going to be with that service it's it's, it's an all-in-one, all-encompassing and you are, it's almost a step backwards for Peloton users because again the whole experience, if you have trouble with Peloton you call Peloton. It's They provide A to Z for the experience. If you're getting this other device and then you're using Zwift, you've now got three people or three companies involved. Um, So if it's a Peloton bike issue, you're going to have to talk to Peloton if it's an issue with this device. So that complicates things. Is it a step backwards? I don't know. But look, it's consumer choice. And consumer choice, it's there if they want it. If it works, fantastic. I'm all for it. Um, There's no Peloton in Australia, which I'm not not too worried about. So uh, not something I'll be covering. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I mean, like you say, they are worshippers at the altar of Peloton, aren't they? And if your average Peloton user is going to sit on their overpriced static bike and think, shall I do one of those things where somebody in New York shouts at me and I get all sweaty um, and I I like doing that thing, which is why I spend so much money on it, or shall I put a odd-looking device that twiddles my knob automatically and takes me to a land I know nothing about, i.e. Swift. I don't know. Can't see it. Can't see it working too much myself. Uh, but it's clever. It's smart. And the first time ever that a Peloton can be compatible with Swift. So we're very much worth keeping an eye on. Nathan, a monolith in the desert in Utah, then Swift put a monolith in the desert in Watopia. Um, will we be trolled in- there, mate, do you think? I've seen things like that in some dev stuff. So I'm thinking it was just a bug. Like that, when I saw it, I was like, that's just a bug. I've seen that before. Like I've seen things like that before. But I mean, 
the other thing is like, didn't we just talk about not having any time? Like, didn't we just talk? That's what I mean about being trolled. Yeah. Like, but I have a feeling it just it, it was it it was a bug that got picked up. A quick picture. Oh, look at that! It happened too. But maybe I don't know. Well, I, you don't think it was deliberate? Uh, it might have been deliberate off of a bug that they knew was there, and it was just really quick. Like, oh, we can make yeah. that look like that real easily over here. We do that all the time. I think that's probably what happened because the shaders and stuff can have real quick. Like the way that the graphics work and the pixels, you can do things like that pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, that's probably what happened is they just could have made a, a quick little bug and, oh, look at that. So maybe not. Well, I shouldn't call it a bug. I shouldn't call it a bug. But no, I don't think it was a bug. It's not a bug, but it's a way that you can manipulate. Maybe it was an actual image put in the middle of everything. I don't know. I didn't pay much attention to it because I didn't even pay much attention to the monolith thing in real life either. So. <laughs> yeah. well this this because aliens link- it's aliens it's fine like israel says it's aliens now so that's in swift now too <laughs> well it links in, into the, the next and probably final talking point because we've been going on for ages actually um and this was this thing i, I mentioned it earlier in the episode this 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 finding uh, uh, that only 25% of swifters are american that did did surprise me i mean 40 odd percent of uh, for instance, Swiftcast listeners are American. And if you track other publicly available trends, then they tend to look a bit like that. And I always felt that 40% was about right for the number of Swifters were American. And that, that you know, all sorts of reasons, those public metrics can be can be wrong or misleading. But 25% is really low. Well, it's low to me anyway. And it, it did raise this question for me, which is linked back to if that thing was a reference to the monolith in, in Utah, is Swift's marketing and general identity just too American? Um, another example, the guest on Eric Min's Thanksgiving Day ride. I mean, I had literally no idea who that was. I think uh, I think they were probably big in America, but they certainly weren't big in my world. It could just be my ignorance. I don't know. And there's a whole lot of stuff around Swift that's kind of avowedly and solidly American. I mean, the Halloween thing, for example, I mean, that's huge in America, but it's not in the UK, and I don't think it's such a big deal elsewhere in the world. And it now appears the vast majority of Zwift's customers are based elsewhere in the world. So, Nathan, I'll come to you last on this one, uh, because I think the view from outside America is is obviously different. So, Shane, your thoughts. Did, did, did this prompt similar thoughts to you? Does that does Am I talking nonsense when I say the whole kind of thrust of Zwift's identity and marketing tends to be American? No, you're spot on. Absolutely spot on. And it's it's hard to be a global company um, with a disproportionate amount of people in different areas. Uh, obviously, Swift being US based and also UK based. There's a ton of things that I've got to Google to find out who this NASCAR driver was, or who this sports person was, or why I need to be impressed by someone who's riding, or why I need to ride with them. Once I do that, I am impressed. There's, don't get me wrong on that. There's a few. There's so many magnificent people out there on the platform. It's like, oh, you've done well. Look at what you've done in the past. There's some. Fantastic Fantastic people writing. So that said, though, as an Australian, a lot of things confuse us. We spend most of our time trying not to get killed by animals outdoors and indoors. Um, but having said that, Simon, look, I've just had to um, yeah, Google today during the podcast uh, who Mystic Meg was. So you're a little bit UK focused too. I, I think we. Yeah, well, of course, we all live in our own bubbles. We all live in our own bubbles. Of course, we do. We are, we are, we are all products of our own background. But it, 
interesting you kind of share my view. So, Nathan, has this ever occurred to you? I mean, Americans can have the slightly unfortunate and probably totally undeserved reputation of being a little insular sometimes. But has this ever occurred to you? Do you ever stand back and think, if I didn't live in the Midwest, this might look odd to me? Mm, not that that hasn't occurred to me, but it's because I am a fish in water. So I'm kind of like, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, come on. Let's like, I'm like, you don't know. But I mean, I found myself riding alone with one of the most, well, not alone, but he wasn't very surrounded. One of the most celebrated football stars in America, Brett Favre was on the platform and he only had a few people riding around him. And I was like, wow, what's going on? But it, it also, that wasn't wow really. Cause it was, I now fully expect that, oh, he's only really known in the Midwest and the United States. And this is a global platform and the time of night. And it was kind of like, you know, it was kind of like, oh, this makes sense to me. So, and the other thing is because I interact with so many people, most of my interactions actually now are worldwide, way outside of America. And I do get more involved in so much of the um, culture of, of, other countries, you know, and, you know, early on in Zwift interacting with, um, APAC Asian, especially countries was really interesting to see what they were interested in and what they were celebrating and the events that they were celebrating. And I do a lot of work with Australia. So learning what's going on with their events and what their calendar is like, and obviously with Europe, there's, but the Europe America thing though, there's a, there's a lot of crossover there. There's a ton of crossover, at least with the UK and the English speaking world, uh, for sure. So, yeah, well, I mean, you, you, you are, you are a globalist. Um, because you know, it's the nature of your work. It, it involves you talk, talking to lots of people outside. But of I America. do, but, but, I'm definitely a fish in water though. Like when you talked about Halloween yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, I was like, yeah, of course. Like, what do you what do you mean? Like, of course, this stuff. What are you is, talking about? Yeah, yeah, what are you talking yeah, about? So, yeah, a lot of people. I don't notice it. I don't notice that it's American at all. I think it's totally normal. Yeah. Just like the yeah. marketing side of things. Well, I think it's an interesting issue. I think it's a really interesting issue, particularly in light of this this figure that seventy five percent of Zwitters are not American. So maybe it's one for debate in Zwiftcast listeners. Is is Zwift too culturally? American-based. Make Zwift great again. Oh, oh hang on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I think that's a suitable point to leave this leave this Zwiftcast, actually. Uh, well, I've got away with only being had the mickey taken out of me twice on the combine, so uh, let's just leave it there for this episode. Thank you very much, boys. Shane, is there anything you are burning to add before we bid each other farewell? Oh, yes, absolutely. If you're a Windows user on Zwift, go to Zwift.com, go log in, and then hit download again and download the new downloader slash updater slash patcher. This is a secret. Nobody knows because Zwift didn't tell change logs. It's a new patcher. It's a new patcher. Now, what this one does, it's it doesn't look any different. It works exactly the same from what you're seeing and when you log in, but it does multiple downloads at once. So it pulls things down off their content uh, distribution networks a lot faster. My installation of a fresh new Zwift went from 10 minutes 52 down to about 4 minutes 10 or something. Wow. That's a 100 megabit connection. So that means faster patching too, not just uh, new uh, new installs of Zwift. So that's just silently being rolled out for Windows. I think Mac is slowly being rolled out or tested soon or Zune. Um, iOS and Apple TV and Android users, their distribution network is totally different. So it doesn't come direct from Zwift. It goes through their respective stores. So if you are a Windows user, do that and enjoy your Swifting more Swifter. 
Excellent tip. So basically just reinstall the game if you're a Windows user. Pretty much. And if it's all installed anyway and fully updated, it'll just say done and you won't even notice the thing happening. It'll just, because there's no auto updater for the updater. It's not self-aware. So you need to go down and pull that down yourself. Well, that's a very, very useful item under any other business. Nathan, I hope your item is going to be equally informative. You I'll can register for the TTT on Wednesdays at by 1 p.m. CST. No, just that's all I got in my mind right now is that I'm up for the TTT uh, number 86, I think we're on, uh, for WTRL in T minus seven hours. So 3.25 a.m. here. We're, uh, so that, that's um, – So that your, your any other business item agenda is I really need some sleep. No, so I, I mean it's, it's – the other things that are going on, um, you know, ZRL season uh, one is ending. There will be announcements coming about season two. We also have the WBR uh, TTT that's coming up. There's a lot of fundraising going on for that. I mean there's – there's so much happening and we're working a lot with WTRL. So, you know, if you want to know what's going on in the ZCL world, head on over to this community live as well as WTRL.racing and you can see everything that we're up to. Cause it's, it's pretty, it's pretty going. It's going. We're having lots of fun. It's a ripple. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to go and look that up now. Uh, thank you very It might be rude. I, I've got suspicion it is rude, or there is a rude interpretation. So, Coco, you just wash your mouth. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, lovely to talk to you, boys, as ever. I look forward to reconvening on the next and earliest available opportunity. Thank you, and goodbye. Bye. Cheers, guys. Well, if you made it this far, dear listener, very well done. That was a long one. and We need to control ourselves, I think, next time. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, too, to Zwift for their continuing support for the Zwiftcast. And just the usual reminder that even though Zwift support the podcast, we decide what goes in it. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.